Okay, I am Sebastian, and I am here with Chris. Hey, 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 what's up? And Rodney. How you doing, Rodney? Oh, I couldn't be better, guys. Glad to be back, as always. Would you like to do a quick plug for Pod Forsaken, just because you're here? I mean, I do it, like, almost every time. If you, we do a podcast with me and my co-host called Pod Forsaken Horror Podcast. We talk about horror movies you probably haven't seen. So if you're a horror fan, you should come check it out. You definitely should. What's the latest thing that you saw and really liked that you don't think anyone's seen? Oh, man. we. Uh, oh, May the Devil Take You. Have you heard of this movie? I have heard of it. Yeah, I haven't seen it's, it yet. It's basically it, the Indonesian version of Evil Dead. Nice. If you like Evil Dead, you have got to watch May the Devil Take You. And people say that May the Devil Take You 2 is even better, which I haven't seen yet, though. That's something to look forward to. <laughs> you couldn't say that any more dryly, Sebastian. <laughs> that sounds really great. Thank you for talking about your podcast. <laughs> that sounds great, Rodney. But we're not here to talk about horror movies. Today, we're here to talk about Ghost in the Shell, the 2017 adaptation of the very popular Japanese anime from the 90s. Now, this movie was directed by uh, Rupert Sanders, who I believe is a British director. He directed that Snow White and the Huntsman movie and some other stuff. He famously had a fling with Kristen Stewart and broke her up from Robert Pattinson. So that was kind of where I knew him from. But I will say this, the Huntsman, Snow White and the Huntsman movie has some pretty cool visuals. So... I thought that he was an interesting choice for this material because he definitely had a sense of visuals. Now, I have seen the original anime. I remember I saw it back in the 90s when it first came out on video. I remember it actually played in theaters in Boston where I was living at the time. I did not get out to see it. And I saw the anime then on VHS or something, and I liked it. And then I rewatched the anime again around the time that this movie came out. And I think it's a pretty good anime. I remember at the time when I first saw it, I struggled with it a little bit because I just didn't have the anime gene yet. I didn't understand really what their story sensibility was, so... I don't remember loving it immediately, but I did really enjoy the anime on a second watch. Now, Chris, you have a history with the anime, correct? That's correct. Uh, I do remember seeing it in the 90s when it first came out, probably on VHS. But unfortunately, it was the English dub of it, which is horrible, horrible, horrible way to watch yeah, it. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Thank really, you. really terrible. And also, you know, it doesn't... It's a good anime, but it, it doesn't have the same like pedigree as something like Akira, which of course is the all-time classic. So I don't hold it as, as like this beloved anime classic that some people do. I think it has some great, great scenes in it. It's, it's, it's got a really cool, interesting story. But as far as animation goes, there's a lot of scenes of, of dialogue played off on someone's back where they don't even animate the mouth, you know? And so it's it seems like there's a lot of lazy actual, like, you know, workman animation in there. So I was a little disappointed um, seeing it at the time and being like, ah, oh, this isn't this isn't top quality, but especially the dialogue scenes, but you know, the the action was awesome. Like there, you know, all the standout scenes like, you know, the shallow water scene, all that really stood out to me. But I do remember the story and the dialogue being a little lackluster. Rodney, what is your history with the anime Ghost in the Shell? 
it's almost identical uh, to what Chris said. Like, I remember seeing it sometime in the late 90s after it had been out for a little while. Am I, I honestly don't remember how I saw it the first time. I'm, I thought, I'm pretty sure I saw it with Japanese, in, in the Japanese language, right? And then I, I didn't watch it again because I also felt like it was like, one, a little too weird for my taste, right? Like, weird in a cool way. I remember being like, this is cool, but I feel like I'm, I'm a little too dumb to understand what they're talking about or something. And I understand that it is, like, beloved by a lot of people. But it's, it's never been, like, my go-to anime. And I, I watch a decent amount of anime. And then I hadn't watched it again until literally this weekend I decided to watch both for, in prep for the show. And I could not believe that no matter where you go on out, out of all the streaming services, there is no Japanese language version available. Like, it's fucking 2021. Like, yeah. please let me watch in Japanese. Because I showed it to my wife for the first time, and I, like, multiple times was apologizing, being like, this sounds much better in Japanese, you know? Oh, I will say that the, the anime does have a lot of, you know, pseudo-philosophical moments that aren't in the actual movie. There's a lot of the characters waxing philosophic about people's ghosts and technology and all this stuff, and it's significantly more violent. Well, one other thing that's not really in the movie is a ton of Japanese leads, and um, that was kind of a big deal when this movie came out. I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, when Scarlett Johansson was cast, uh, there was a lot of uh, upset people on the internet complaining that they hadn't cast a Japanese actor. It more really kind of happened when the movie came out, not so much when she was cast, but it sort of really cast a pall over the production. Oh yeah, I mean, it was, it couldn't have been timed worse <laughs> culturally, I feel like, and, and I remember it being a big deal when they cast her because they cast her and all the anime nerds were like, that is ridiculous and this is really the main stumbling block of, of the movie, you know? I, I, I feel like everybody, you know, went, was up in arms, and I feel like I even heard that they were trying to test visual effects to make her Asian in oh, the movie. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. To, you know, placate people, which even just made it worse. You're like, no, that's not the point. It was a big deal for me. I, you know, I think it significantly hurt the movie. Well, Chris, I can say a lot on this topic, but it's one of those things where I ha it's a very complicated issue, right? And yes, yes. first of all, I remember, I remember this being a really big uh, story around this film, right? And I do agree that, like, look, Scarlett Johansson is out of place in this movie. She is the wrong actress for this role. However... On the one hand, I say to myself, it's an American adaptation for American audiences. Yes. And mm -hmm. I don't see anything wrong with having the lead character be played by an American, right? But when I'm watching the movie, it does feel weird since they kept the movie set in Japan, you know? Like, if the movie took place in future San Francisco, I think it would, like, it would work better, right? Totally. Yeah. So I, I guess what I'm coming down on is I don't think they made the right choice but I don't think it's quite offensive either because like to me, it's not because she's in a robot shell. Right. And they like, yeah, they're not saying she's a Japanese person. She's right. She, they made a, they made like a, a white robot woman. The filmmakers did try to assemble an international cast for the team of the movie. You know, sure. like the, the police chief is Japanese, speaks in Japanese. You know, some of the people are, are from Denmark, Zimbabwe, 
you know, like there's a, a Chinese man from Singapore. So, you know, we have the French uh, Juliet Binoche is in it. So they did try and pull people from all over the place and try and give an international feel. So I applaud them for that. I don't know if that's enough to really placate the the miscast of the lead. But, and also, I, I under, to your point, I understand that, you know, I typed in Japanese American actresses into Google and I didn't recognize any of the names off offhand, you know, like, so, you know, I feel like the major point is we need to just, you know, bring people to the forefront. And then, you know, if there had been somebody that could have been cast, that's Scarlett Johansson level, that was a Japanese American, we should have put her in there. But I understand why filmmakers say like, hey, we need a draw for this movie. It is an American or a co-Japanese American production and this person's a draw and she has made movies like this before with Lucy, she can handle the action. So I I feel like culturally it was the wrong decision, but for the movie, I enjoy Scarlett Johansson as the major. I'll say this about the whole thing, and this is something I wish we could see in society more, is I feel that in this case, they weren't entering into a bad faith argument. I think there was some effort made, as you pointed out, to bring a more international cast. To Rodney's point, I think a wiser way to sidestep the whole thing would have just to have said, this is an American adaptation. We're going to set it in America, still have a diverse cast, but that way you can have a American lead and it's not weird. But, you know, I just think that their intentions were good. I don't, I don't feel that this was some kind of brazen whitewashing where they just didn't care about any of the cultural aspects of the film. I mean, I think it's pretty clear in the film, they care about the cultural heritage of the story. So in this case, I feel it was in good faith. And I understand that they had to cast a bankable American lead if they wanted it to do well in America. I think it was a victim of poor timing because I think it was something that was really largely in the cultural conversation and and still is largely in the cultural conversation. And for good reason, it's a conversation that needs to be there and it's something we should care about. I do feel like this movie shouldered unfairly the brunt of the negative aspect of that conversation. And that's too bad. It didn't really totally deserve it. But I do understand at the same time why it happened. I think it's just like, it's a very unique case like there are many other examples of like whitewashing that are clear cut right right but in this one you can't be like well we need to find an actual woman who's a robot right to play the part like (laughs) that's not an option and you're right like bring me the most famous japanese actress available and she'll still be unknown to american audiences and that's troubling you know so you have to fix the whole system before you can fix this problem you know what i mean it's like let's get more japanese um actresses opportunities And then in the future, if something like this comes up again, we're in a better position to do the right thing. Right. Agreed. You know, we weren't there in 2017. And frankly, we're not there now either. Okay, so let's move on to the 2017 adaptation of Ghost in the Shell. 
We open up the film with a whole bunch of corporate logos because now every movie that's expensive has to have about 20 different production companies involved. But we get our sort of obligatory few paragraphs of text explaining the situation in the world and what's going to happen. I appreciated this chunk of text because it was kind of really to the point and I think pretty effective. We learn that in the future, people are basically becoming more and more combined with their technology, aka cyborgs. Let's just agree to use the word cyborg so we don't have to keep calling it something else. Basically, people are becoming more cyborgs, which we are in real life. And there is a corporation called Hanka. They're a robotics corporation, and they're funded by the government. Wait a minute. Is it, it's Pfizer and Moderna? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> like, <laughs> Pfizer Robotics. But they're developing a military operative that will combine a human brain with a synthetic body. They tell you what you need to know, right? Like, I, I never hold it against a movie if you're going to put words on the screen at the beginning. Like, all right, just tell me what I need to know. All right, there's the robot company. They make, they're, they're making people robotic. Okay, I get it. The three of us have discussed now several of these types of movies. Mm -hmm. And particularly the last one we all got together for was an anime adaptation. I just appreciated the brevity and succinctness. Right. I was like, oh, very good. I get it. Yeah. L let's move on. Honestly, there was there's a a line in the anime which has a similar sort of opening with with a bunch of texts, and they say that you know technology is you know infiltrated human society so much, but not to the point yet that races and and nations are erased. And I almost felt like you know what, if you're gonna cast Scarlett Johansson, why don't you just say nations and ethnicities are erased? And I feel like that that almost was like this was like right in front of you guys. Like, but I guess, you know, that would have been changing it. But it was an interesting, you know, uh, little tidbit that I felt like they, they could have easily moved forward because they, they basically said, like, we're almost there, but not quite yet. And so why didn't the movie just just go that extra extra mile? So, yeah, our opening visual sequence, what we see is the major's operation becoming a disembodied human brain into a cyborg body. And we see these sort of red-garbed surgeons, which I thought looked pretty cool. And we actually see the brain being put into the body and these synthetic nerve endings are reaching up to connect with the brain. And the body is processed and sort of put through this milk bath. And then the, the milk bath dries and the milky coating falls away like paper. Awesome. And we see her robotic body which is pretty cool design and then we get a very stylized logo which is pretty much the same as the anime correct yeah i believe so with the, with the yeah triangle and yes it's very close yeah the whole opening credit sequence feels very much you know i'm gonna use the word copied but in a good way copied from yeah. the anime like it's it's like Almost shot for shot. Yeah, it's, it's very faithful. Can I tell you one thing that bugs the fucking shit out of me? It shows the title twice. Why? Does Did it? either of you notice that? No. no. Yeah, yeah, dude. Go back and watch it. it. It shows her laying there, like, you know, being assembled or whatever. And then, like, in standard, like, white font, you know, like, where it says Scarlett Johansson, that fades away. And in the same font, it says Ghost in the Shell. And then you see the credit sequence where she like, you know, the paper and shit falls off her. And then it goes to like the big triangle logo right. that says Ghost in the Shell. And I feel like some editor forgot to yeah. take it out 
And literally, they screened it for a hundred different times, and no one ever noticed. That's strange. Yeah, I, I didn't notice it. Go back and watch. Tell me I'm crazy. There might be some legal situation there where they had to put it uh, in front. I don't know. Maybe. You got to put the title in twice in case people are confused. <laughs> yeah. What if someone comes in late because they were getting popcorn, and they're like, wait, what movie is this? It's like how radio stations have to say the name of the station every hour. Well, you know, no, no. You know how like people, you know, get named ahead of the title or something like that. Like I'm saying that there's some legal thing where it's like, oh, the title has to be before any other credits or something like that. That might have been the case. But uh, I agree. It should it should have just been the last one. Along with that triangular logo, we get our first real glimpse of Scarlett Johansson as this character. We see the character a lot in basically what is almost a nude setting. She's a robot, so her body, it's not naked. You don't see naked flesh, but it pretty much looks like naked flesh a lot of the time. And it's very... Titillating? (laughs) It's pretty titillating, yeah. I mean, for a sort of mainstream sci-fi movie where your character is basically a superhero, you know, it's a little risque i guess to present her in a way that she's almost naked when she's kicking ass i was watching the trailer for this in in the theater with a with a male friend of mine and when she takes off that first coat and reveals the bodysuit he there was an audible whoa Uh (laughs) from him so that just tells you everything you need to know you know i mean like it's it's definitely out there but i will say that in the anime it's way pervier like there's way more like erect nipples all over this place and like you know after i watched the anime and then the live action afterwards and the live action seems very tame and way less pervy uh by the standards of the anime so our hero character of major wakes up in a recovery room and she's speaking to dr ulet i can never pronounce this name it's a really hard to pronounce a lot I think he's saying like that. Oulet, Oulet, Oulet. <laughs> and this character is played by the great French actress, Juliette Binoche. And she explains to Major that her body was killed, but her brain was preserved and put into this artificial body. And so now she is a ghost in the shell. So we get the title of the movie pretty much right away. A third time, if you will. And we see that the head of the company that's financing all of this Uh, The Honka company, the head of the company is named Cutter, the CEO, but he sees Major not as a human being, but as a machine, as an asset or whatever. So pretty much right away, we know this is probably not going to be a good guy. Now, Chris, is this accurate to the anime? Uh, Not really. I feel like there's another sector of of the Japanese government that comes in and wants wants her this is like the simplified version and actually to me works a little better i mean i don't recall even though i just watched the anime i don't recall like there, there's no mr cutter uh, to my memory right i i feel like I, I he wasn't named mr cutter but there's like sort of an american ambassador in section six as a, and they're in section nine and sector six is this they're they're the bad guys for most of the episode, I'm going to try to just talk about the live action film as its own thing, right? Because if we just keep comparing it to the anime, you know, that gets complicated. But in terms of the live action film, I have no problem with his opening, right? Like it sets up the stage. She wakes up and she's like, hey, uh, I'm in a different body. Why can't like she, you know, I thought Scarlett Johansson sells it here. She's like, why can't I feel my body? 
I gotta tell you, Mr. Cutter is terrible as a little strong, but like he is such a mustache twirling yeah. villain. His name's yeah. literally Cutter. Come on, fuck off, go away. Yeah, the actor is also poor man's Liam Neeson. Dude, I gotta tell you, I had the same the same problem both times I watched this movie. I saw it in theaters when it came out, and I watched it uh, earlier today. You meet him, yeah, you meet him in the opening scene, but then he shows up way later, and in both times, I totally forgot who he was. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, who's this guy? And then I was like, oh, wait, was he at the beginning of the movie? That's, that's never a good sign. This villain sucks. For me, this is really the worst part of the movie, honestly. Sure, yeah. This this is not a compelling villain. This sort of corporate bad guy is something we've seen a million times. Such a boring sci-fi bad guy type of villain. No offense to the actor. I'm sure he's a fine actor in whatever country he comes from. But yeah, this villain just sucks. I'm not compelled by him at all. You know, there are two really big problems. One, they don't give him a scene, you know, like whatever, in a boardroom where like he where we see his point of view where he's like, I'm I'm trying to make the world better by making yeah. robot soldiers or whatever. And two, he never has a single fucking scene with the major. That's true. He's the villain of the movie, but he doesn't interact with her one time. He interacts Except with when her. he tries to kill her with a tank. Right. <laughs> but he's not there. They've never actually physically spoken. So It's about technology and the distance between human beings, bro. Oh, shit. You're right. It's so, <laughs> it's so deep. I, can't, I still can't understand it all these years later. So we cut to one year later, and now Major is working for basically some sort of special ops police department or whatever called Section 9. And we're in this... Blade Runner version of Tokyo. It's like Blade Runner times a thousand. Yeah. There's neon everywhere. Hell yeah. There's holograms everywhere. Visually, it definitely feels just like it, it's kind of just doing Blade Runner times a million. But I got to say, it's doing it well. Hell yeah. It's awesome. If this is your jam, it's hitting the spot. For me, it's just like, you know, if you yeah. like ice cream, this is... This is the best you'll ever get, you know. I'm not going to say it's the best you're ever going to get, but it, it looks awesome. I, I have to agree, from the minute the movie starts till it ends, visually, it's great. Yeah. If you do drugs, this movie's for you. We get these great cityscapes of the city, and we're seeing all these cool holograms and everything. And Major is standing on a rooftop reporting to her superior, Aramaki, who is played by the great Japanese director, Katashi Beat Katano. And she is monitoring this basically sushi dinner that's going on in this building. They have found out that there's some sort of like device on the roof that's spying on this meeting. So they know something's going wrong. And at this dinner is a character called Dr. Osment, who's played by an actor I love and wish would be in more things, Michael Wincott. I was a big fan of him in the 90s. I love him in Strange Days. I love the him doors. in The Crow. I love him in The Doors. I love him in uh, Alien Resurrection, even. Yeah. Robin Hood. Honestly, they should have swapped the, the, the villain with him. You know, they should have yep. they should have swapped yes. those two actors right there and you would have had a much better movie. The minute you meet that guy, you're like, oh, that's the bad guy. No, that guy, yeah. he's only in this one scene, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, it's disappointing that he's only in this one scene. But he's trying to get this deal to go down and he's having this conversation with this other guy who's raising sort of ethical concerns about what Hanka is doing. But then 
these cyborg type like yakuza e dudes come in with these visors and they start messing shit up with their guns and stuff but then what happens is the geisha robots that are serving everybody they suddenly become hacked by this outside force. They're like grabbing people and dragging them back and then porting into the back of their heads, I guess, to rob data out of them. So Major gets wind of this. And so she does the thing where she falls backwards and falls off the top of this building to go, whatever, break into this sushi bar and save these people from being attacked. Now, this whole sequence was really highlighted in the trailers. Like a lot of this was in the trailers. And I think that some of the best visual candy that the movie has to offer is in this 10-minute sequence. Agreed. These geisha bots are fucking yeah, cool. Yeah, and they're physical. Yeah, yeah, and they're... And they're not bullshit CG, you know, like they have this physicality to them that looks really good. And then when there is CG, it's, it's incorporated really well. And a lot of this is just faithfully, you know, rendering the anime. Right. But why wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just, that's a compliment. Le- that's why they show all this in the trailer, because it's the best part of the movie. Yeah, it is the best part of the movie. Like the movie never really gets better than this scene because Scarlet comes crashing in through a window, guns blazing. She's like running around the room because, you know, she's a cyborg so she can run on walls and she's firing at the robots and at the Yakuza Devo. I don't even know what they're supposed to be guys. And it's just a really cool action scene and it's really visually exciting in a way that, for instance, Aeon Flux could not pull off. Yeah, exactly. This this action kicks ass compared to Aeon Flux, which was definitely going for this, but not delivering. And no, look, it's not, you know, is, is it reinventing the wheel? Is it the, the next Matrix? No, but it's still pretty fucking great. Like, this segment of film, I feel, is better than most superhero movies. Like, if we're looking at this as a superhero movie, which it basically is, and that's especially apparent at the end, this sequence, I think, is just stellar. Yeah. Like, it's stellar. It's great. And I think Scarlet is really pulling off the physicality of it. I feel like the cuts and the editing and the action is all really kinetic and good, and the production design is just out of sight. The shot of her actually like breaking through the glass where you can actually see her form in the glass. I feel like there were two different renderings of that. Like for the marketing, you could actually see her more solidly so that, you know, the so that it it came across in, in the marketing. But then in the movie, she was even less there. And it was really just outlined by the shards of glass that she was pushing through, which was even cooler because I remember... You know, there was a lot of marketing for this and and everyone saw that scene over and over and over again. And you were like, okay, they got it right. But then I remember watching it in the theater for that first time and she is really just not there. And it's the glass that's silhouetting her whole thing. And I was like, man, now that they even pushed it further, I love it. I love it. I'm going to have one note that I'm, I'm going to have a bunch of notes, but one of the notes you will hear me say throughout is that while this movie has a lot of cool parts, none of them are truly fucking awesome. I, I don't think, like, compare this to the opening of The Matrix, 
which is fucking awesome. That is a cool sequence. I'm going to disagree with you. I think this is awesome. Yeah. This part is awesome. Yeah. And it's not just because of the combination of like the geisha robots and the design and the fact that Scarlett Johansson looks friggin' great. Honestly, if we're comparing this to the beginning of the Matrix, this is this is better than that no, that opening scene on. on the rooftop. That's fucking it's not awesome, that dude. Great. The part where she it's like fine. where she beats up all the cops and she floats it's in the cool. air. It's right? cool. It's a great it's a great opening, but it's not the best part of the Matrix. The, the Matrix gets better as it goes. It's a great opening. It doesn't blow its wad like this movie kind of does. But this scene is awesome. This opening scene is cool, and it's the best part of the movie. I stand by that. And the the geisha robot is fucking amazing. Let's make a whole movie about the geisha robot. They look <laughs> so cool. And I'll say it one more time. This movie should have probably been nominated for best production design. Like, it looks yeah. gorgeous in every fucking yeah. shot. Mm -hmm. I just think this opening action scene is kind of short, actually. She jumps through the window. She shoots a couple dudes. And then she shoots the robot. And it's not really, it's not really an action movie, but it's that's part of my one com my main complaint here is that there is action in it, but there are not really actions like big action set pieces. I'll take I'll take short and sweet over prolonged and annoyingly obnoxiously long. No man, give me give me like six underground where the first twenty minutes is just a car chase. That's what I want. But that's Michael Bay. I can't yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> So the way this scene wraps up is one of the geisha robots is thrashing around on the floor and it starts begging for its life, which really throws off Major, who is mostly a robot herself. So she's supposed to just cap this geisha, but she can't because now the thing's begging for its life. And then it stops begging for its life and it says collaborate with handcuff robots and be destroyed, which is a warning that we're going to hear several times throughout the movie. Then she realizes that it, the robot's just been hacked or whatever, and she kills it. But I thought it was a good little button for the end of the scene. Yeah. And it gives us a little window into her inner struggle. This person who is having a problem accepting the fact that they're mostly a robot at this point. Scarlett Johansson's performance in this is kind of a mixed bag. I'm not going to say it's bad because I think she's doing something very unintentional and she's really trying to do something with this performance. As, you know, yeah. especially if you watch it a few times, you see like she's trying to act like a robot that has a human brain. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really hard thing to pull off. And I think that's a really hard thing for an audience to relate to. And one of my central problems with this movie is there's an emotional disconnect where you you have a tough time investing yourself in the character of Major. And it's because she can't behave like a full human being with a wide range of emotional reactions. And I just think that's a really hard thing to pull off. So on one hand, I really appreciate what she's trying to do. But on the other hand, I don't feel myself feeling a lot for her, you know? Right. For me, it, you know, the, the original anime is, is, even colder and has less human warmth in it than this movie. And to me, the human warmth crept up on me surprisingly because I wasn't expecting it at all. And then by the end of the movie, I was pleasantly surprised. And I think Scarlett's performance is largely 
due to that, I think I was buying what she was selling, and I thought she did she did a a, a good job in this performance, you know, and and it was a very tricky line line to walk, as as you were saying, um, and I think she did a good job. Oh my god, I think she's mostly terrible, uh, and I like Scarlett Johansson. There are a couple scenes where I that where I was like, oh hey, she's actually acting here, and like I feel like she's. Let me rephrase. I know that she's acting throughout, <laughs> right? But there are a couple scenes where I feel like she is an actual like human brain, like a person, a character, whatever you want to say. A ghost. But here's the problem, and this is a problem with the entire thinking behind the film. She is a human being. They put her human brain in a robot body. So she should have normal human ways of speaking. Her reactions should be human. Like, that's the problem. She shouldn't be... Like, if, if they were going the way the anime went, it makes sense that she's, like, a cold, distant AI person robot thing. But there are all these scenes where she's, like, playing it like this monotone character, and that makes no sense based on the plot they set up. What are you talking about? The whole point is the more we rely on technology, the less human we become. And if the only thing in your body is your brain and maybe your ghost... That's the whole point of the movie is that that's why she's acting robotic. That's everything that you are. Everything you feel and experience is your brain. And if you want to well, say no, ghost, people say that when they've had after a heart transplants, they are like, oh, my God, I actually feel like, you know, it, it affects my my emotional well-being and this and that. And and who's to say that just our brain is what we are. And I feel like that is a, a question that this movie is positing. Not only that, I think that it's made sort of clear in the movie that her memories have all been wiped out. So, and and the character says at several points, like, are we just collections of our memories? Mm. So I think what they're trying to get at is, yes, she's behaving robotically because the whole human being that she was has been erased. Like her brain is basically being just used as a biological function. There's none of her personality still in there. I think you would have a point, Rodney, if they had just kept her personality because your personality is your personality and it's all built from memories and who you were and who you've learned, what you've learned and everything. So if you take that all away, you don't have a personality anymore. You make a good point. All right. I, I will back down a little bit, but that doesn't change the fact that she's really not very good in this movie. People don't like her in this movie. People didn't go see this movie. People hate this fucking movie and they hate her performance. And I'm not wrong to say that. She's really bad in it. Except when she goes like scuba diving and at the beginning when she wakes up and she goes, I can't feel my body. And I was like, oh, that's a good scene. Rodney, if you're going to use the, the, the I'm right. defense I'm totally right. that people didn't see the movie so it's bad, <laughs> then like you can level that at everything that we ever cover here. I know. It's, it's an easy way <laughs> If you look at Rotten Tomatoes, the critical consensus says, despite a strong central performance by Scarlett Johansson, the movie flounders. So I, I You're would... me you're watching this movie and you and you genuinely like this character? No, I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing with you, but I don't think that it's because her performance is bad. I'm I think it's because it's a really hard thing to do. Right. It's a really hard needle to thread yes. to be asked to be like, "Hey, you're going to play a character who was a human being, but then they took away all her memories and put her in a robot body, so you're kind of a robot and you're kind of a person. I don't know how you play that. How do you play that? What would be your solution how to play that? You know, like it's hard. Cast Sean Young. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Pretty much anybody who ever plays a robot 
other than Arnold Schwarzenegger is told they're terrible at doing yeah. playing a robot. I you're you're right. On one hand, I don't really feel a lot for this character, as I said, but on the other hand, I appreciate that Scarlett Johansson is trying to do something. She could have phoned this in easily and been pre- even worse, you know, and I, I think she's actually giving it the good old college try and, and to me succeeds. Oh, and one thing that's going on with uh, the major is she's having these glitches where she is seeing things, basically, these digital images that flicker in her vision. It's supposedly a normal thing. And when she goes to the doctor to have a checkup, the doctor explains to her, oh, these aren't a big deal. But, you know, really, we know that this has got to be indicative of some important plot point that is to emerge in the future. She sees a cat in her apartment. And then it, and then it like, disappears. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, which sort of reminiscent of The Matrix. Isn't there a glitch cat in The Matrix? Right. Too? Well, he sees it twice, and that's that's when they reset it. Here we meet her partner, Batu, or Bateau, who is played by Pilu Asbik, who is mostly known for playing a jerk on Game of Thrones for the last few seasons. Yeah, yeah the pirate guy or whatever. The uncle, right? The the Iron Island's uncle. He's got a real presence about mm-hmm. him, but it's more of a villain presence. Like, they should have put this guy in the villain role, although he's, he's pretty good in this role. Yeah, he's got sort of blonde hair, and he's her pal. You know, she's feeling sort of sensitive about her inhuman status, and so she relates to him about stuff and he has this habit of feeding the local dogs it's kind of a very save the cat uh sort of thing it is but i love i love it i'm feeling this warmth as opposed to the anime you know like you know i'm an animal lover so i'm a sucker for this which it's totally working on me like oh there's a cute cat there's there's cute dogs it's like i'm all there for it i'm lapping it up i mostly like this guy and his performance again it's not a character I completely 100% love or anything like that, but he's a striking visual presence and the actor is good. So I think he's fine. He's actually my favorite uh, actor in the movie. I just really like his performance in this. Like, I think he, he is a, he's a normal human being, right? When the movie starts, like he, he doesn't have any cybernetic. Well, actually, no, he has like some kind of chip that lets him communicate telepathically. Yeah, I think everybody's got something. Right. But he has and no not the, not the Chinese guy. He's all pure, he says. So, But I don't know. I, I remember when I first saw this movie, I, I just, I like this guy. And maybe it's because he fed the dogs. I think he's got some good line deliveries. Uh, I think he makes a good partner, you know? Uh, and they did a really good job of making him look like the dude in the anime. Totally. Yeah, and I think it's a cool thing that, like, you know, they're buddy cops, male and female, and there's no real sexual tension among them. It's just they're really just buddies and and i i buy that and you know i I like the way he admires her he's like oh it's even it's better to be you pure and you know unadulterated with your stupid memories and i i i dug all that you know i I could watch a whole movie of the two of them just shooting the shit and drinking beer yeah i agree so they have to go investigate what happened with the geisha they have to get some sort of information out of her so they go to Hanka and they are greeted by this cyborg mortician or something named Dr. Dalin. And she hasn't found anything on the geisha's drive. So what Major has to do is she has to do what's called a deep dive 
into the geisha's mind, sort of port her own consciousness into whatever's like lingering in this geisha's drive. And while she's in there, she catches glances of the villain, who's this sort of hooded character. But then he sort of pushes her away in the vision and she's being hacked into. And so they have to pull her out. But this gives her the information as to where this villain Kuze is because she sees where he is in this vision. And she goes into like the digital sunken place. There's a shot of her sort of falling into water that's very reminiscent of the sunken place in Get Out. I was hoping it might have been a little bit visually more interesting. Once she gets in there, it's just sort of like these digitally looking images that she sees. But it serves the purpose and it moves the plot along. Now they've got a place to go. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you guys are going to get all upset. But like, look, (laughs) like visually, it's awesome. I love when she's like down there and like, like, you know, in the memory whatever memory stream and people are like digitally glitching and all those like black burned people are like trying to hold her down. Like that's all cool, right? It's cool. But it also just like, doesn't make any fucking sense. Okay. Like it just really bugs me that like she walks in and she's like, yo, did you uh, figure out how to hack that robot? Like, nope. And like, okay, I guess I got to plug in. And like, that's actually super dangerous. Like they don't have like, it's like so futuristic that they don't have any other way to like get the info other than she has to like jack her consciousness in. And then she's just like, I'm doing it. I'm just doing it. And they're like, okay, go ahead. You can do that. Even though you cost like a billion dollars, it's happening because the movie needs it to happen so we can move along. Okay, I get it. But that didn't stop me from hating it. Well, no, it's not happening because the movie needs it to happen. It's happening because the movie wants to do something cool with the fact that they've got a character that's a brain and a robot body. What kind of doesn't make sense is that she's not a digital consciousness. She's a physical consciousness. So why should she be able to go into a digital consciousness with her mind? That's the part of it that I struggle with. Yeah, in the anime, she hooks into a lot more things. You know, she can like, you know, hook into somebody's car and take over and do this and that, which is a little bit, which makes makes a little bit more sense, I guess, is that like, you know, everybody sort of can meld their consciousness into the internet or into other, you know, digital things. But, you know, I, I agree. That's kind of like, you know... I, it's a thing that you just kind of have to go with and be like, oh, in this world, this is how it's done. But I guess it doesn't make, you know, perfect scientific sense. I mean, the person who is operating on the geisha could have just found some kind of video file or whatever and showed it to them. But they want to do this because it's cool. It's a cool idea. I I hear what you're saying, Rodney, but they're doing it because it's a cool thing to do with your superhero character. You know, you don't want Batman to just do things in a normal, boring way. You want them to do it in a cool way. Are you kidding me? Batman spends half of each movie sitting in front of like a bank of TV screens scrubbing through videos. (laughs) Well, maybe Batman's the wrong thing. But like Iron Man, you know, you don't want to see Iron Man take the subway. It's boring. You want to see them do something cool. Yeah, again, it's not it's not a big deal. Like whatever. It's just like it's a fucking movie, man. Like she goes she goes deep diving. Okay, great. Now we now we see the bad guy. I get it. Well, like they make a big point of how dangerous it is, but there's really no like repercussions of it. Unless unless I'm supposed to understand that like she's now permanently connected to Kuzma. That was my understanding. Yeah. That is what I think it okay. is. Yeah, now he has access to her. Now he can kind of fuck with her through her brain. He's hacked into her. Sure, I'll buy that. Or he's put a virus into her or whatever. Can I also just bring up Scarlett Johansson's walk, which is one in my notes here, like the way she walks, like 
I saw it with a friend of mine and he just couldn't get over like bringing it back to her, her performance. He could not get over the way she walked because it's so just like weirdly robotic and butch. And she just has this like sort of weird determination with the way she walks. I don't know if any of you guys picked up on that, but that really bugged my friend. And now every time I watch it, I'm just like, oh, there's the walk. There's the the, the ghost in the shell walk. I feel like she kind of has that in everything, though. It's way exaggerated in this. You got to watch it again. You got to watch it again, man. She's it's it's crazy. And I'm like, kudos to Scarlett for going for it. Um, <laughs> Perhaps an odd choice. An odd physical choice. I just noticed that she kind of has a weird walk in general, like even in the Avengers and stuff. Okay. I mean, I think it's exaggerated to yeah. your friend's point in this, but I think she just kind of has a strange walk. So what happens here, she figures out that Kuze has been hanging out in this strip club, basically, in the basement of the strip club. <laughs> so, you know, it's not a sci-fi movie if we don't get a bar or club scene it's a yakuza bar is what it is so she goes in there she's sort of plain clothes she goes in while um, batu is just kind of hanging out in the bar and she gains access to these yakuza dudes one of whom is just really slimy he's literally slimy he's like super sweaty and they bring her into this room where there's a stripper pole that guy's actually he's a malaysian musician producer and art house actor oh nice (laughs) he does a really good job i feel like he's extra creepy he plays a really good creep oh yeah And one thing that gets established here, which was something that I really liked, is because everybody's got these cybernetic implants, they can switch to mind comms, which is basically they don't have to talk. They can just hear each other's thoughts. So we're getting this back and forth dialogue between Major and Batu communicating over this, over their brains. I love it. I love all that. Yeah. And they lose contact with each other at one point, which complicates things. So she's in this room with these Yakuza guys, and they're threatening her. And so she basically kicks the crap out of them while using the stripper pole, which is, you know, pretty good. I mean, I think considering that she's kicking dudes' asses with a stripper pole, it's really not that exploitive. She's just really using it really effectively to kick their ass. Meanwhile, Batu is getting into a firefight in the main club with a bunch of guys. So it turns into a big firefight. And Major runs off into the basement because she's sort of following this glitch of Kuze. And she ends up in this room wired with explosives. And then they blow up and uh, Batu gets his eyes burned out. One of my favorite moments is when the creepy guy, she does her flip and says one of a, a pretty cool line. Like, you know, I wasn't built to dance and she kicks two guys like flips backwards and then kicks two guys in the face, which is pretty awesome. Like it's even it's very matrix like, but the creepy guy, even after that is still laughing. <laughs> yeah. He's laughing the whole time. And then she has to kick him out of the room. And like you said, I really enjoy the, uh, using use of the pole to, you know, to, take out these creeps and i thought that was a really you know cool sort of reversal of the of the the pole dance i'm not trying to be i'm not trying to be this guy but like but aren't you i am that guy dude (laughs) look i'm a smart guy i pay attention i've seen a lot of movies i'm watching this movie she like goes into this bar she like walks in and the first thing that happens is like 
this sweaty Yakuza dude is like, come with me. And he like drags her into the back room. Yeah. And I'm like, why is this happening? Like, what? Wh- you tell me. You all watch the movie. Because she was asking to, to get modified or something like that. And that's like apparently a no-no there. And so they're like, wait a minute. Why is this person who might be a cyborg already asking? You know, it's like, oh, if you ask for heroin at the wrong place. And they're like, uh-uh. This person's trouble. Like, right. If you walked into a mob bar and you were like, hey, I'm here to join the mafia. <laughs> Can anybody hook me up? I'd like to become a made person. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. I don't know. It's just. Mm. Look, I'm, n- I'm not disagreeing. I thought it was a little too convenient that they just were like, okay, well then come in this room. Like what should happen is they should be like, get the fuck out of here. And yeah, exactly. Like, oh, you, you asked for heroin. Well, I'm going to take you in the back room and beat the shit out of you. Right. Like real more, you know, it just made more sense that they're like, yeah, we, we do fucking mods come in this back room. And we'll talk in private. It's just like a weird scene. They like handcuffed his pole and they're like shocking her. And yeah, the, 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 the sweaty dude is hilarious, you know, but like, I don't know. I'm just sitting there like, why is this happening? Like, why do we, if you just cut that out of the movie, it doesn't actually change anything. It makes it less cool. (laughs) You're right. It does. You've now removed an action scene. That's why it's in there. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they just want to give you a taste of the world and the, you know, skeezy underworld that's there and stuff. But, you know, it's sort of typical of like a cop movie. You know, they always, you know, I just recently watched 48 hours. You know, they have to go into a bar and have a bar scene where they get into, you know, it's just that sort of cop movie standard thing that happens like we got to go find out we got to go get information let's go to this underworld bar where all these lowlifes hang out and yeah. figure out what's going on it's a cop trope and everyone knows if you want to make a movie that people love you should just rely on tropes and do what's <laughs> standard in all of those types of films well what move what great movie that you love that's a billion dollar movie doesn't rely on tropes. Please tell me which one. I can't. What's that groundbreaking movie that that, that relies on zero tropes that's made a billion dollars? Avatar. Avatar. Come <laughs> <fuck> <laughs> <off>. <laughs> he brought it up, not me. <laughs> Completely original. First of all, Chris is the one that gets to bring up Avatar every single podcast. <laughs> Second of all, Avatar is the most unoriginal movie, trope laden. You you couldn't movie. come up with unobtainium. That's fucking genius. Well, I'm glad we got our Avatar reference in. Thank God. Look, I was wondering when <laughs> that was going to happen. I'm being nitpicky. I understand, right? But it's also just like there's a better version of this bar scene. That's what I'm getting at. There's a better yes. way for this to go down. Except, I totally Rupert. Agree. Evans or whatever the director is, Rupert Murdoch, who directed this? Rupert Sanders, Sanders, right? (laughs) Rupert Murdoch, whoa. It's like, look, he hired a really good DP and a really good production designer, but he's not a very good director. I'm sorry, Rupert, if you're listening. I've seen several of your films now. They're not good. You're not very good. Well, it's the writing. It's not really him. It's both. It's He should, yeah, kick it back to the writer's room, I suppose, but... I feel like this movie is is not concerned with those types of details, you know. I mean, just, just go with it. I think it's concerned enough, enough with them for exactly. them to make sense. It's not Aeon Flux bad. No, I I agree. I agree. The story is told in a succinct enough way. There's nothing coming up here that I feel is egregiously stupid or is asking me to go to suspend my disbelief too far. I, yeah. I feel like these are all reasonable, if not the most outstanding and clever story choices you could come up with. They're fine. They're doing the job, and I don't feel like it's stupid. But yeah, so the the main thing that happens here is that the place explodes and Batu gets his eyes burned out. So now he's going to have these 
fancy new eyes that can do all these things and um, but he still needs major to feed the dogs for him so she you know has to because he's afraid that the dogs are going to get too creeped out by his crazy new eyes so she has to go feed the dogs and so we get a nice little moment where major feeds the dogs and sort of we sense that she's trying to access some part of her, her humanity by doing this I dig his eyes. I think his eyes are awesome. Yeah, they did a really good job. I, I was glad that they didn't just use CG and it was some kind of like practical mix or something of it, but it looked really good. But I mean, this sort of opens up this idea that Major is trying to, you know, as I said, access some part of her humanity. She then goes to a prostitute. This scene I struggled with a little bit. I know what they were trying to get at here, obviously. She goes to this prostitute who's got an inexplicable face covering over part of her face. And I thought it was that she was a cyborg, but then they go back to a room and Major just wants to sort of touch her face and feel her skin. And they she pulls off the decal or whatever that was on her face. You know, I'm sure it's some world building thing, like all prostitutes have to have plastic over the lower half of their face. But so many characters in this movie have parts of their faces come out, like at least three characters. Like, I didn't mention this, but the doctor who's the the geisha doctor has eyes that come out and you know, it's sort of a recurring visual motif. So I'm like, why does the prostitute have plastic on her face? But it doesn't, it's, she's not a cyborg. For, there are a lot of parts of the movies where like, yeah, someone's face just kind of like opens up and it's like a machine. And that looks awesome. Like that, that when that, the, the, the geisha doctor's eyes come out. So cool. With the prostitute, I was like, she just does she just have saran wrap on her face? Like, I don't understand what that is. It was a moment where I feel like the world building kind of got in the way. Like, just have the prostitute be a normal person mm-hmm. so we understand that she's looking to touch a normal person because she's trying to reach for her humanity, so to speak. This scene is so dumb. It's so dumb. They should have cut it out. It has no purpose. I understand it. They're trying. I know what they're trying to the do. The purpose is they're trying to, they're trying to, you know, she's searching for her humanity, yeah. you know, you, but yes, I, I agree. It's not, you a know, good all those scenes it. that end up on the cutting room floor with all movies. Those are scenes where they tried something. And then the editor said, this doesn't work. Let's get rid of it. That's what they should have done here. Whether it works or not. I enjoy the scene. Is there anything you don't like? Oh my God. You like, <laughs> like she's sitting there touching her lips being like, what do you feel? And she's like, mm-hmm. it feels different. Like, what the fuck? The, the character never even comes back. This has no purpose. Yeah, kind of with Rodney on this one. It could easily have been cut out, yeah. But the next thing we learn that's important is that Dr. Dolan is killed by Kuze, and he takes her cyborg eyes, which I just was talking about, and we find out that Dolan had learned about a project called 2571 that Hanka was involved with. And that Kuze is targeting everyone on this list. And Ule is on this list as well. You know, this is fine. This is, you know, sort of a standard kind of plot thing. We're learning why the villain is doing what the villain is doing. But it's also, at this point, I know exactly what's going on. I'm like, okay, so he was part of a project. This was the project. He's getting revenge on everybody in the project. It is very reminiscent of V for Vendetta. That's basically the same exact motivation for the character of V, spoiler for V for Vendetta. 
So it was a plot point that I was familiar with. So as soon as I find out there's this project and that he's killing off people from the project, I pretty much know what's going on. So the fact that they're kind of trying to tease it out is just kind of a shrug. The numbers in the anime are 2501. And then at the end of the movie, it apparently it evolves to 25017. So I thought it was interesting that they mixed it up into 2571 for this. And the, the screenwriters definitely... Hmm did their nerd homework. But they were like, we don't want that zero in there. Exactly. It's got no be- zeros. <laughs> zeros don't play well in the Midwest. Rodney, since you seem to have a violent reaction to the, the idea that the character of Kuze was a decent villain, why don't you give us your rationale for why he's not a good villain? Well, I'll look, I'll tell you a couple things. One, uh, I think like his voice modulate, like the way he talks, it's like a combination of like his like weird digital stutter with that like deep, like digital baritone layer, the Max Headroom. Yeah, he sounds like Max. Is, is I've always is it Headroom? 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 It's like well, it's a thing that says Max Headroom. So yes, you could say that, but people pronounce it Max Headroom. He's like major. Let me tell you why. like that shit. And I just think it one makes him sound like I get that he's like broken, but it doesn't really make him very scary. And it's hard to understand him when he talks, which is, again, maybe you want to blame my speakers. But, like, there's that. And he just, I don't know, like, he's lame. He doesn't do anything in the movie. He just, like, limps around, like, with a shawl and, like, occasionally hooks his brain into shit. I don't know. He's just, he's lame. There's no one, there's no kids dressing up like Kuze from the Ghost in the (laughs) Shell film being like, oh, man, who are you? I love your outfit. Oh, I'm the villain from Ghost in the Shell live action movie. by your estimation... Anything that kids dress up as yeah. is a good is a means good a character. Successful. Yes. No, that's dude, the bar. Look, it's like, look, I know you're trying to like find some shading here for your podcast, right? But like, he's a lame villain. He is. You're not watching the movie being like, oh man, I want more. He's s-. not a villain. He's not a villain, and hence the problem with the film, <laughs> right? <laughs> I he is portrayed as a villain, right? When we first meet him, he's an antagonist. Okay, yes. sure. Like, look, I like like his backstory later. Like, it, it's kind of interesting. I just, I just don't care. I'm sorry, I don't. Like, I think it's kind of lame. I'll split the difference. I think there's things about the character that are cool. Um, I like Michael Pitt as an actor, generally. I think he's a pretty good actor. He's the one who plays Kuze. I like some of the design when we finally sort of see him and see that he's this robot that's sort of falling apart. But at the same time, yeah, I don't think he's a great he's not built up into a great villain i think he's a pretty cool character i think there's a lot of potential for the character that isn't really realized in the movie right and and look this is my understanding is that like that character comes from one of the later ghosts in the shell i think the c the the tv series called like standalone complex that makes sense based on here's my understanding in the anime world, there is the puppeteer who is the main villain in the animated film, right? right? Yes, yes. And Kuze is the main villain in the animated series. And in the live action film, they've combined these two characters. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so what they've done is they've kind of taken two individual cool characters and diluted them and tried to do two things with one. And I think that's why it doesn't work. I think Michael Pitt does a decent job. I feel like he's trying to get that sort of broken lost soul thing across it doesn't always work the 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 max headroom thing is is just kind of too dorky for me all i could think of is you're doing a max headroom and so it's it's a little bit too 
jokey and and stutterish that it it, it it doesn't work for me. But I feel like the rest of him, like he get, does an admirable job. It almost makes me wish that he had played um, the the sort of Tyrell character in Blade Runner twenty forty nine because I think yeah. he kind mm. of has like a better thing going than Jared Leto did. Yeah. Um, but I, I agree that this, you know, it's it was kind of weird. And the more I watch it, you know, I, I kind of grow accustomed to him. But I remember the first on the first viewing, I was like, this is kind of weird and not not, you know, not a home run for me. But I, I admire what he was trying to go for. Yeah, I think Michael Pitt is a compelling actor. And I think there could have been something pretty great there. But I don't really think the movie allows it to happen. And I will say that, like, you know, as far as the casting goes, I think the puppet master, whether it it is him or not, they specifically say in the anime that he was American. So give the movie a pass for casting Michael Pitt for this one. (laughs) Next, we get our next big action sequence. And the way this works is... There are these garbage men that Kuze <laughs> hacks into their brains and they go and crash the car that uh, Dr. Ulette is traveling in because she's the next target. And Major and her team shows up and there's this big gunfight where they're gunfighting the garbage men who also now have like weapons and stuff. And Major follows one of them to this flooded square and she's he's got this jacket on that sort of is making him sort of invisible or whatever. Thermal camouflage. It's it's one of the Deathly Hallows. So he's sort of like glitching in and out of visibility. She follows him to this flooded square, but she can turn fully invisible. So she basically kicks his ass in this flooded square. This scene I remember specifically from the anime. Yeah. And I thought it was done pretty well here. Yeah, it's it's super faithful and it's one of the coolest parts for me. Um, and especially in 3D with the water splashing everywhere, it looks so so cool. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a cool scene and it's you know a lot of the props have to go to the original anime because they're really really being faithful to it and just you know basically making it come to life in live action and uh, it's a cool scene. I got to split the difference here, right? Because visually, again, every time I talk about the movie, I will say visually it's awesome. It's cool when they're fighting. Although I got to say, how come no one's like invisibility cloaks like just work in the movie? Like they're always like doing a glitchy thing, mm-hmm. even even Scarlett Johansson's. But here's my problem, all right? Why do these two garbage men who are just like doing their job, why do they have invisibility cloaks and submachine guns? It makes zero sense. Well, I think they were given them by Kuze or something. They they asked them where they got the weapons at one point. Like they Do don't they? know. Yeah, they don't know where they got them. So Rodney, are you one of those guys that wonders where, you know, the Joker gets all his henchmen and all the rocket launchers that he uses and stuff like that? <laughs> is that- no, no. My, my, my issue here is that it, the way the movie portrays this scene, it portrays it that like, Kuze is like, I'm going to kill Dr. Ouellette, whatever. I'm going to kill Juliette Binoche, right? And he realizes her car is driving down this freeway. So he's like, I'm going to hack into these two random garbage men and use their truck to crash into her car. Yeah. So is the implication that, like, how did he know she'd be there, right? Therefore, giving those guys guns and shit to have. And also... Those guys, before they're hacked, they're just sitting there eating noodles. How come neither of them is like, hey, hey, Bob, 
why do you have a machine gun in the cab? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I got a machine gun too. I don't remember putting this here. Like when you're watching the movie, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a movie. It's fun. But when you really think about it, it's sloppy writing. That doesn't make any sense. But he, he could have hacked them years before and been plotting this whole thing. Sure. I mean, sure. There you go. Like, it's just so arbitrary. I feel like you could you could make up anything. Well, and yeah, you're coming in like Chris was saying, you're coming back to the whole Joker thing in the Dark Knight. The Joker knows exactly where everybody's going all the time and is, you know, ahead of everybody by five steps or whatever. So I get what you're saying, but it's also it's a gimme that you just give to the villain that they know everything that's going on. Yeah, and this villain is hooked into the entire internet network, so he would definitely know a lot of things and have his tendrils. Sure, so you I know feel what? like it's, if, it makes more sense that, you know, he could set that up. If in this day and age, if you told me that garbage men were carrying automatic weapons, I'd be like, <laughs> of course they are. Of sure. course they are. There are there are a whole bunch of headcanon answers that I will accept that will make me shut the fuck up, right? You can just tell me all garbage men have machine guns, or he decided he's like, I don't know where she'll be, but I'll just I will hack every garbage man. Yeah, maybe every garbage guns. man in t- Tokyo uh-huh. was was waiting for her to show up, and they all had guns because all garbage men carry guns in Tokyo in the future. Sure, I'll- I'll buy that. But like, <laughs> basically, the best parts of this movie are the parts that are lifted directly from the anime. Yeah. Yes. And so when you finally get to like the cool fight in the shallow bay, I don't even know what that is, but yeah. it's cool. I agree. The best parts of the movie are definitely lifted from the anime. And the best parts of the movie were really highlighted in the trailers. They knew they had something here. And yeah, they just basically filmed the anime. They used the anime as a storyboard. But it looks friggin' cool, and I'm not, like, a cartoon guy, so you give me something cool that happens in an anime and put it in live action, and I'm happy, because I don't want to watch the anime, because cartoons are for little babies. And uh, cartoon is a... Ca- cartoons are for piss-pants babies, and I'm not gonna watch them. <laughs> it's an offensive term, Sebastian. <laughs> yeah. It's an animated film, all right? So they bring this one garbage man back to police headquarters and they've got him in like an interrogation cube and that, you know, they're trying to ask him what's going on. Where did he get the machine guns? Whatever. Uh, <laughs> to Rodney's point. But the dude clearly doesn't know anything because his brain has been hacked by Kuze and he's got these false memories. He's got memories of a child that he doesn't have. So they realize like this guy isn't going to tell us anything. And then... Kuze shows up in the guy's brain and Major talks to him directly and demands to know who he is. And he gives her this sort of cryptic response, but they're able to trace the hack of his of the man's brain. But then Kuze makes the man kill himself. You kind of skipped over the, the headline here, which is that in this future Tokyo, when you go to jail, they put you in a glass cube and they put it like, um, like a padlock noose around your neck uh-huh. and make you just stand there and <laughs> no one has ever thought hey what if what if a prisoner tries to use that to kill themselves as this guy does <laughs> it's like if they put you in a jail cell full of dynamite or something it's the dumbest <laughs> i'm gonna give this the award for the dumbest on-screen prison i've ever seen in any movie and i'm counting the one where like arnold schwarzenegger and sylvester stallone are putting a glass ikea cube <laughs> yeah you have a point there <laughs> Let's bring our suspect Maybe in. giving your prisoners <laughs> nooses in which to hang themselves is not, is not the best policy decision. So dumb. 
Commander, can you explain why 98% of all the prisoners hang themselves? <laughs> no idea. We, 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 I don't know. We bring them in. We handcuff them. We put them in the noose. We go get lunch. They're always hanging when we come back. I feel like Chris is stewing. Like, he's just dying to tell me how cool this is. I thought it was cool when he drops to his knees and kills himself. I was like, that's a cool button to the scene. But yeah, I mean, why would you have that in an interrogation room? But people kill themselves in prison all the time and people give them, you know, blankets. So it's not that crazy, but uh, uh, I see your point. I'm going to admit that it didn't occur to me while I was watching it and that I thought it was just kind of a cool prison exactly detail, you're just actively looking for reasons to to not like the cool things like if i watched the matrix and and had to nitpick every single like that's cool no, but I, but that doesn't make sense if i think about it uh like a lot like well these okay, are movies so like i just you're de you're depriving I, yourself of some cinematic pleasures how i see it explain to me one thing what does that neck harness thing do if you're going to put it in the movie, have a purpose. Keep him in place, I guess. Like, so people can come into the cube and interrogate him, and then he can't come too close to them. Yeah, it's like what they do to Hannibal Lecter when yeah. people want to go in this cell with him or whatever. I see your point, but there is a practical reason for the prison noose. They usually have it length a little bit longer so they can't actually kill themselves but then they had to pull it back because she went in there and then that's why he was able to hang himself with it because they rolled it back so that it was it was too tight there you go oh i see that's what All happened right. we've spent way too much time on the prison this is place. what i'm saying like if you like you know this is your no prize you know this is just like all right why did this happen mm. Now, are they going to spend half an hour explaining that in the movie? Eh, probably not. Rodney, I want to take a movie that you love. Yeah, let's nitpick the shit out of it. You did. It. You did. It's called Lady in the Water. Uh. Tore it to fucking shreds. And then you, then you had me come back. You need to pick a movie for this show that you love that's like a sci-fi action movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm sharpening my knives right here, man. We'll put it under the Rodney magnifying glasses. <laughs> And see what's what, because I feel like the sort of stuff that you pick apart happens in all movies that aren't 100% reality based. If you made a movie about reality, it's just going to be reality. Yeah. Why did the main character boring. get out of bed that day? No, he should have just stayed in bed the entire time. Like, I, I agree, Chris. They, <laughs> you got to explain that shit. You have to give it a little leeway. I, I you do. You have to I'm... let go of stuff. Dude, I let go of stuff, all right? There's all <laughs> kinds of shit in this movie that I didn't even bring up because I'm like, what? Like, well, yeah, whatever. They have machine guns, okay? You Look, did bring I, it up, Rodney. <laughs> I, I, re I repeat it again. Like, unfortunately, there are times where people spend $100 million and you get a, and they make a really visually cool thing and then it comes out and everyone says, I don't like it. I just don't like it, right? And I'll point to, you know, fucking the Wachowski space movie, Jupiter Ascending, perfect mm -hmm. example of a movie that like they spent a fuck ton of money on and there are cool sequences in that movie and there's beautiful things to look at but you know what it's painful it's painful to watch right? oh i know and we're gonna have to cover it on this podcast <laughs> and is is ghost in the shell painful not at all but i think the problem is is that it's just so bland i find this movie just so flavorless and yeah it it looks pretty but like that's all it's got going on in every moment of the movie they're like how do we make this stupid interrogation scene cool? Let's build a glass hollow cube and put him in that. And what if what if he's in like a weird noose like thing? 
Why? I don't know. Because it will look cool because that's all I can offer you. That's what I'm getting at. So um, they figure out where uh, they've traced Kuze to a location. So they go at the location SWAT style in a SWAT style raid. And I'm a little confused about here. Here, let, we can have a little fun nitpicking this whole part because <laughs> what is this place? Is it like a drug den? Because there's a bunch of people doing shit with cyber cybernetic parts and stuff. But then there's also like a white powder that's getting blown around. So I'm like, are they making like cocaine for cyborgs or like what is it's going like on? It's like a here? render farm, except instead of computers, you have people's human brains is what is the way I took it. And this is basically okay. how he's, you know, hacking into everything and, and gaining power by like subjugating all these people's brains and using them as like resources. That's how I saw it. I understand when she goes into the back and she finds this room where all these like hooded bald dudes are sitting around and they're plugged into this right. crazy system because he calls it his human network. He's created right. this <laughs> human network, which is going to be like a human internet or something. I don't know what it is, but it sounds cool. I'm going with it. What I don't understand is what this place that he's hiding out in is because there's like drug dealer looking guys hanging out in there with guns and stuff. I just don't understand what this place is supposed to be. It looks like a drug den where people make crystal meth. <laughs> Yet there are like human bodies and bags in there and stuff. I just don't know what it's supposed to Haven't be. Haven't you been to raves that have similar shit going on? You know, there's... I wish. In the 90s, I, there's always stuff like that going on. Cocaine flying in the air, monks like <laughs> like tripped out and plugged into shit. I mean, come on. Like, Sebastian, it's a movie, man. Can't you just let it go and just enjoy it? It's, all it also... I'm asking is an explanation as to what this place is. That's all. The difference between you and me, Rodney, is I don't need it to make sense. I just want to know what it is. Like, I don't know what this is. What is it? Yeah, it's like it's like a place that the bad guy rented. You know, he he like went around. He's like, yo, where can I? I need to set up like an 80 person Wi-Fi extender. Right. Mm, exactly. yeah. Where can I do that? And where's the rent cheap? And they're like, there's this like <laughs> crack. There's this crack house. And like the back room is open. And so he rents it. OK, I'm, I'm good then. Thanks. <laughs> If you read the manga, you would know. It's very clear. There's yeah, whole... is there an answer to this in the anime or the manga? I, I, I don't know. This scene does not exist in the anime. There was a moment where, like, a female worker who just seems to be, like, moving cocaine around or something like that just pulls out a knife and attacks one of the guys. And I thought that was kind of funny because usually, you know, the female worker's like, oh, cowering in the back. But this one just, like, pulls a knife and tries to stab somebody. And so, you know, I feel like they're all crazy uh, criminal villains that are either working for him or, or just hate cops. The important thing of what happens here is Kuze captures Major. These cyborgs with these crazy taser weapons attack her. And so we get this kind of cool fight where their weapons are lit up and she's fighting them with these cool lit up weapons. I'm sure Rodney, you hated this for some reason because this it part, doesn't, nope. it doesn't really serve a purpose, but it looks this cool. part, this, this part is awesome. But why would they shut off the lights for when they're fighting? Don't, don't they need to see? Well, because if the lights are on, they can't see where their laser weapons going to hit. Oh, right. It helps okay, them fight. Okay. The end result is that major is captured by Kuze and this is where he reveals his robotic form to her, as we've already discussed. And he's talking about this kinship that they have together. 
and he's hooked her up to his you know network so she's all like strung up to this human network that he's created that we're not entirely sure of what it means but it sounds cool we find out that she's basically a updated version of what he was supposed to be this project 2571 it was to basically make a cyborg with a human brain or a robot with a human brain and you know he was the beta version one of many beta versions as we'll find out and he was a failure and she was the success you know this stuff is pretty standard uh sci-fi stuff here it works for me just fine i can't wait for you to listen to this back and hear how many times in this episode you say something like you know and we get to this scene which is pretty standard tropey the usual middle of the road sci-fi stuff i like middle of the road sci-fi stuff though (laughs) that's the thing it's fine. Exactly. As a person that worked in an office for like, you know, eight years, I understand. I really connect with his line where he's like, you know, no matter what they do to you, you know, your ghost is yours. And basically like, you know, trying not to have your soul crushed by a huge corporation and working like a machine day in, day out for eight years in a in an office. So like that's something that I connected where he's like saying like, you know what, no matter what, this corporation does to your body and you, your soul is yours. And I connect with that corny as it is or whatever. He says here that he he's going after these people, not just because he wants revenge on them for discarding him. He wants to know what they took. And he means by that his identity and his memories, right? Is that what he, that's what he's talking right. about? Yeah, he's, he doesn't know exactly what's hap- happened to him either, right? I mean, they're both. Yeah, that's how I took it. So... He frees her and then she shoots him. But when she shoots him, she sees this tattoo on his chest of a burning pagoda and she recognizes it. That triggers some memory in her. And at that point, the team arrives and starts shooting at him, but he escapes. But now our main character is conflicted because the person that she thought was the big enemy is actually closer to her than she realizes. This whole sequence where Michael Pitt is like explaining his backstory and so forth, like, yeah, it works for me. I know I've been, compl- I complain a lot, but I like the reveal that he's not the bad guy. He's not just like the cookie cutter bad guy that we have been expecting, right? When he finally reveals that, like, he's actually got this humanity, and like, you get that, like, there, I mean, you don't know what happened, but they did something and they put a brain in this broken robot body and they couldn't get it to work. And I guess it is like, flushed him down the garbage chute. I'm not sure like why he's alive, but like whatever. And like, he's really angry about it. I, I like that. I think that's a cool backstory. I think it's cool that twist that he's basically a thrown away version of her. And, and it's a cool reveal because then you understand why she wouldn't just keep hunting him and lets him go. Yeah. And the second part of this sort of turn in the movie, Major confronts Juliette, Juliette Binoche, and wants to know how many of them there were before her. And Juliet admits that there were 98 of them. And then Major wants to know if her memory that she has of her parents being killed by terrorists was real. And we find out at this point that that was all a false story to motivate her towards a career or to joining a team, anti-terrorist team. Anti-technology team, right? Like, Yeah, they were like anti-technology terrorists. Right. Which is ironic because that ends up being what she really was. Right. She was an anti-technology terrorist. She's got 99 problems, but a ghost ain't one. Oh. <laughs> How long I were you waiting to. to say that? Like, <laughs> I, about a minute now. 
So yeah, nothing major knows about herself is real. And that's, you know, a lot of conflict for a main character. And um, Ule has known who Kuze was this whole time. So she's known that that's what he was and that he was out there. Batu's wondering where Major has gone because she's gone off grid. And we find out that she's taking a little bit of a vacation by floating underwater in the Tokyo Harbor. And it's a really cool shot where we see her floating and there's like jellyfish floating around her and stuff. And she's got like a wetsuit on and flippers. It's just very cool. Very cool visual. So Batu finds her because he's in his fishing boat or whatever. And she comes up and they have this little conversation where she's expecting him to kill her. But, you know, he's not going to do that because he's her homie. So they're all good. But he does want to know why she didn't stop Kuze. And she tells him that she doesn't know who she can trust, but she can trust him. So we're getting this sort of reestablishment of their friendship. I like this whole sequence. I like I mean, it looks it looks very pretty. And I like the two of them hanging out on the fishing boat and just kind of like being Drinking friends. Mm hmm. I think it's good. Yeah, I think the cityscape is is awesome too. I feel like you know it's just the site, the type of site you see in cool futuristic Asian cities, but times a million, and I just love it. Yeah. But how does a cop afford a boat like that? I want to know. It wasn't that fancy. I'm just joking. It's a joke. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to tell. You cry wolf, man. <laughs> I'm preparing to have to go into battle over every little detail with you, Robbie. <laughs> I remember when you first had me on, you said you wanted me to be quite combative. And so here you go. It's true. I do want that. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. It would be really boring if you agreed with everything, Rodney. I agree with that. Yeah. So what happens next is Cutter wants to bring her in because he's found out that she knows the truth about herself and about uh, Kuze. So her goons take her in to the Honka Corporation, which is her plan, right? Like, I get the sense that she basically just kind of let them take her in. No, no, no. She like she gets she basically she gets off the boat and like the, this this like SWAT team shows up and they're like, you're coming with us. And she's like, OK, like she's clearly surrounded. Yeah, I took it as she didn't put up a fight because she wanted to go in. No, because like if it weren't for Juliette Binoche being nice, this plan would just get her killed. This is the worst plan ever. OK, you're right. I think you're right. So Cutter wants to get the data on the raid out of her brain and then terminate her. So he's basically telling Juliet Binoche that that's what she's got to do. He hands her this like syringe full of red liquid, which I guess is the mind erasing liquid or whatever. She switches out the vials. So she injects some kind of yellow stuff into Major's mind, which does not kill her ghost. And then she gives her like a hard drive or something, which has the data of her real past and allows for her to escape and then you know cutter's pissed off by that so he shoots juliet binoche through the glass window and kills her and he sets it up to look like major did it and he tells section nine that you know honka is going to take over and terminate her I, yeah i like the culmination of the whole consent motif throughout the whole movie where they're every time they erase her memories they ask for her consent and then here where she's like i don't consent to this right. and they obviously didn't never never needed it and now every time i say yes to an itunes thing i think of this moment and i'm like <laughs> oh no like you know this is really what it's going to be like you know like nobody needs our consent to take our data it's just it's out there and there's nothing we can really do and i think that this moment kind of highlights that for me yeah, she says, I do not give you my consent. And Juliet Binoche is like, 
we never needed your consent. No, I, I like. I mean, besides Cutter just being such a bland villain, as I pointed out, this scene this scene's great. You know, like uh, I like Juliette Binoche like struggling with the idea of killing like. It's not really her creation. I guess it's her creation, sort right? Of, Whatever. Yeah. Like, and then I don't think she gives her a hard drive. I thought it was just like like a like an apartment complex. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, but she she injects something into her. Like, I think she gives her like adrenaline or something because she was a little bit out of it. So she, I think she gives her like a boost so that she can escape. Because uh, after that, she does the whole like you know down on her knees slide and hit, which I feel like is classic ScarJo. I love that scene where she just like slides <laughs> on the floor and does that. Cause she's she a little bit of short black widow. Exactly. Yeah. And she's a little short stature. And so it's just like this great move and it's kind of like a fist pump in the air moment for me. Yeah. And so this leads major to this, this big uh, Tokyo apartment complex with a million apartments. And she goes up several floors and she meets this woman with a cat and the woman invites her in for tea and they have this conversation where Major learns that the woman had a daughter that died a year ago. And the, the woman was told that the daughter killed herself, but she didn't believe it because the daughter was part of this anti-tech group of quote unquote terrorists. And she was writing these manifestos. And so the mom believes that the police came after her and killed her and made up the story that she had killed herself. And she tells Major that she reminds her of her daughter and, you know, hitting you over the head that this is who Major really is, which is fair because I think the movie's just flat out telling you at this point without really telling you. But this sort of flusters Major and so she leaves. I hate this scene. I think this is this is the definition of ham fisting. If like if you're into ham fisting, you watch this scene. What is the definition of ham fisting? It actually, when put on the spot, it's kind of hard to describe, right? But like, no, literally, what does it mean? Like overly forced uh, to the point of being saccharine, I guess. Like literally, she like shows up, and this Japanese woman comes out, and she's like, "Oh, hi." Come in, have tea. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking? You don't know who that lady is. Why are you just inviting this lady into your apartment, right? Obviously, she recognizes like her ghost, something about her. Oh, that seems Chris, familiar. you're Come killing on, me. Man. She recognizes her ghost. She's like, her. she had like a 16-year-old Japanese kid, and this is like a 35-year-old white woman standing in her apartment. This is the point of the movie is that people can see this connection and their ghost lives on and that even through oh. ethnicities and things like this. And I also think that this is kind of one of the moments where they try to repair what they did with the casting by basically saying like, look, the character is Japanese and she was put in a cyborg that looks like Scarlett Johansson, which is kind of funny because life is imitating art because a Chinese man, like shortly after this movie, j created a sex robot that looks like Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> oh, really? How much? Yeah. <laughs> I'll send you the link. Say, please. This this is what I think is the biggest sin the movie is committing. And this is where I have to compare it to the anime. Because in the anime, she is an android, right? Or it is implied. She, she asks a question about, like, what her true nature is or whatever. But the whole point of Ghost in the Shell is a question of what actually makes us human, right? It's a question of, does this main character who is an android have a ghost? Does she have a soul? But in this live action adaptation, she is a human. They took a human and put a brain in a body. So 
the very philosophical question that it drives the entire point of the story is lost in this adaptation because she does have a ghost. You told me that in the opening moments of your film. So I don't really give a fuck who she used to be or what happened. I already know the answer. That's my problem. So in the anime, she's not a human being brain. She, no, in the no. anime, she is a brain. No, it's no, a human a, brain. Yeah, it's a human brain. It is. I, I do yeah. not believe you are correct. It is. I just watched it, and I'm fairly sure that they say it's a human brain in, okay. in the cyborg body. But they don't make a... Then fine, it's a human brain. But they don't make a whole point of, like, where she came from or who she is, right? The whole point is... No, yeah, 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 yeah. This backstory is original to the movie. Like, the whole... The reason it's called Ghost in the Shell is, like, it might as well say in parentheses, like, what is a soul? What makes us a living being, Right. But they're saying she she was a living being, and they put her in a different body. Yeah, that's the answer to your question. It's it's asking a different question. You know, it's just like, oh well, how much can a body or a brain go through and then still retain its ghost or whatever, so to speak? I think it's like a slightly different question, which is fine to me. I see Rodney's point because if it's just a human brain in a robot body, why would it not have a soul? Like it's still a brain, right? Right. That that's that's my point. And I just I just think that, like, look, I don't know when this decision was made. Right. Like, I'm like, for all I know, they were like, how do we have Scarlett Johansson in the movie? And they're like, what if they put right. a, a Japanese brain in this white body? And then they had to work backward from that. Yeah. But it de it detrimentally affects the entire storytelling of what made the class. Like, ultimately, the reason people still talk about this animated film from 1995 is because it was trippy as shit. It was trippy and it was like weird. It made you think. And then Hollywood went and dumbed it down. And they basically kept all the visuals, but they removed the ghost from the movie. Well, I think there's a lot of critics that would agree with you, because I remember seeing a lot of people saying that they felt that this was a dumbed-down version of the anime, which is sort of fair, but sort of not. Because I do think that when you're making a $100 million movie, you need to make it a little more accessible to a mass audience than an anime needs to be. So I think to, to say like, well, they dumbed it down. Like, yeah, if they had made it strictly what the anime was, then it would have made even less money. Like even fewer people would have seen it. And the anime waxes on about a lot of stuff that, that doesn't really pay off either. Like if you watch it, it's like, oh, they're going on and on about evolution and the tree and biodiversity. And you're like, oh, this doesn't really make sense either. Like, come on. It's like, it's a little too yeah. much. I feel like it's, they might've been split the difference between how much, philosophy was in the anime and the movie yes it was dumbed down and they might have gone too far but i feel like if you bring a lot to it it's it's bringing up a lot of things that that are interesting it wasn't the sort of thing that occurred to me while i was watching it like that didn't i was still getting the idea that this is a person that's struggling to find their humanity and quote unquote soul or whatever so it wasn't like that theme wasn't in there it was just when you really dig into it, it doesn't really work the same way. So I agree with both of you. And I do feel that there is a certain saccharine element to this scene that I certainly chafed up against when I first saw it. So Major contacts Amaki through her mental connection with him and tells him what she's learned about herself and Kuze. Then she learns from him that Uled is dead and that Cutter framed her for the murder. Cutter's goons come after Amaki in his car, 
but because Armaki is the cool ass uh, Takeshi Katano, he's not just going to go out like some punk in a car. He gets the drop on them and kills them. I like that they give Takeshi Katano a scene where he gets to be a badass. It's a it's a nice oh, yeah. a nice homage to him. He is just a badass as a human being, so it's only fitting. And then all around the city, the team is attacked by Cutter's men, but thanks to Major's intel, they all survive. I think a few of them die, but most of them live. I will say that he he has a six shooter and he fires way more than six shots in that scene. <laughs> and but I do love the line, "Don't send a rabbit to kill a fox." I mean, that's, that's a really good uh, line. And he's just badass. Yeah, that guy can do no wrong. And in the anime, and that's a significant improvement over the anime because in the anime that the police chief is like this just old bureaucrat who isn't badass at all. And they kind of like took I think the Chinese guy with the long hair. He had the the cool six shooter gun, and they gave it to to the chief instead in the movie, and and that's definitely a, an improvement to his character. Yeah, I mean, like, look, it's a cool scene. It 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 is. It's just like that dude's like barely a character. Like like it, it's weird how much the movie wants to pretend like the chief of police is a character, but he's not. He's a very minor character, and they don't give him much to do. But I do like that they give him that to do. Sure. Like, like everything about it is like when, when it's happening, it's cool to watch him pull out an old fashioned six shooter and shoot a bunch of Yakuza dudes down the street. Are they Yakuza or are they, I guess, are Honka? They're like Cutters dudes. Yeah. It interrupts the, the momentum we're building to suddenly cut away from the main storyline and be like, oh, by the way, like. Remember the chief of police? So now he's about to get attacked in a parking lot. And I'm like, what are we doing here? No, it's momentum building because all her friends are getting taken out. So she yeah. has even less back. Barely her friends. Like, the what movie are you talking about? They're the team. They're the unit. That's like her, her team. They have like two scenes together. There's definitely not enough of the unit as a team where we're getting a sure. sense of who any of these guys are. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. I feel like we do get a little bit more of the chief in that regards. I mean, there, there's a bunch of scenes which I didn't bother to go over where he's talking to somebody and they're not long scenes. And he has this whole back and forth with her about when she like takes the jump and he says, you shouldn't have jumped. You need to follow my orders, blah, blah, blah. You know, they, they have a little bit of a rapport. I'm sure a lot of his part got cut out. I'm sure it was the stuff that they had to get rid of to make the sh- movie shorter. It really feels like there was more of him. Yeah, I agree. It definitely feels like his role got cut out a lot. The, the whole thing with the team and him feels like it was cut out of the movie. It literally cuts to like a Japanese dude who's part of the team and he's like has a shootout in a deli. And I'm like, who's this guy? Like he's the Chinese guy that didn't get any um, any modifications. Uh, is he Chinese? I, I don't know his ethnicity. Yes, he's from Singapore. Okay. He was in um, Dark Knight. He was the guy that sque- that he's a squealer. He's He's been in stuff. No, no, I mean, I don't mean I'm not saying he's not an, an actor who's been in things. I'm just like. He's barely established. Like, okay, yeah, he's visually in this movie, but that, that's all I'm getting at. It's like there's no time spent with him as a team. No, I agree. So Major drives her motorcycle. She's got a cool motorcycle, and she looks cool driving it to the lawless zone. And the lawless zone was where she lived when she was this human girl. In the meantime, Cutter's deploying his spider tank to go kill her. <laughs> And uh, when Major is in the the lawless zone, she finds the burned pagoda, which was a tattoo on Kuze's chest. And she has these sort of visualized flashbacks of the raid when she was captured, when she was a human girl. And Kuze is there in the burnt out pagoda and they're looking at symbols on the wall and 
you know, he confirms to her that this is a real memory of hers and that Cutter took her life from her and that he was one of the radicals in this group. And, you know, he wants her to go into his network so they can evolve and avenge themselves. It's like kind of just we've reached a point where I already like it's clear this is where we're going. Right. So this is not shocking information at all, because like the scene with the Japanese mother kind of already explained this. Right. Yeah. It's confirmation of what we already know. I'm here for this, you know, plot point. So I, I enjoy it. And I enjoy the fact that they they finally get a sort of bonding moment where they, they recognize each other as, you know, being childhood friends and both being these freaks that have been torn out of their bodies and now are reconnecting. I thought it was cool. And we learn her real name here, which was Makoto. Yeah. Then we get the big climax with the spider tank. The spider tank looks a lot like Batman's spider tank in uh, Justice League, which came out the same year. So I have to wonder if they're like, special effects people were like trading designs behind <laughs> the scenes well it's very close to the anime so i'd say ghost in the show has has the leg up on that right i remembered the spider tank from the anime this part is definitely it sucks <laughs> a pretty bad climax unfortunately it's a big fight with a robot that doesn't really measure up to the sort of visuals that we've seen in the rest of the movie because it's all sort of taking place in this burnt out area of the city and at night and it's just a superhero fighting a robot and it's pretty boring major's running around doing superhero stuff and cutter is controlling the robot via mental remote or whatever which is just sort of a weak way to try to get him in there as the villain acting personally in this scene so that isn't satisfying at one point he thinks he's killed major but of course we know he hasn't and then he's going to use the spider robot to crush kuze's head but major is still alive and she jumps on top of the tank and she like wrecks her synthetic body trying to pull like the control center out of the tank this is the thing i like most about this scene is her body yes. gets all torn up yeah it's an iconic scene moment moment but otherwise i'm gonna join right in with rodney and say that this climax pretty much stinks like <laughs> it's not offensively bad to me in the way that the eon flux climax was remember how terrible that was oh, when yeah. we talked about that it it's nowhere near that bad this is just kind of this feels like, to me, the end of, like, Iron Man and Thor. And this is where it really feels like a superhero movie, where we're getting the lame superhero battle at the end of the first movie that nobody thinks about or remembers because it was underwhelming. Yeah. And then they yep. get to make a sequel and they do a much better end battle and everybody forgets how lame the end battle was at the end of first Iron Man or the first Thor or whatever. They don't even bother to set up that there are spider tanks in this world, yeah. right? It's not like, it's not like there's like, at least in like RoboCop, you see Ed 209 do some oh, shit. fuck yeah. RoboCop sets up Ed yeah. 209 amazingly. Yeah. There's there's a brief moment when they go into the Hanka thing where you see two of them in the in the corners, but that's it. Okay, well, even that, that's at least a step in the right direction. But like, when that guy, like when Cutter gets on the controls, he's like, where's the nearest spider tank? I was like, wait, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> like obviously it's hard to beat a tank. And I do think it's awesome that she like pulls so hard that she rips her own arm off. Like, that's fucking cool. And that's right out of the anime, yeah. 
But because it wasn't set up and I don't really care about Cutter, this is a really lame way to like climax the film. I completely agree. I feel like, you know, they had to have this scene because it was such a, a big deal in the anime. And maybe in 1996, you know, that tank design was cool. And we all were like, oh, this is this is a cool action scene. But it's the part that I always want to fast forward when I'm rewatching this movie. And yeah, it's all just dark and dismal. And there's some terrible CG when she runs up the crumbling columns yep. or whatever. And you're just like, that is horrible. Like, other than that, I feel like the CG has been very, very good that Weta has been kicking out for this movie. It looks great. It's visually pleasing. This is, like you're all saying, just a total fail. And it's really just the worst part of the movie for me. I wish it were shorter. It feels like something that would have been just only passable like 12 years ago. And now it just feels even more rote because it's just the mm -hmm. sort of boring thing we've seen in a bunch of other movies. They really are trying to set up another movie, so it feels like this, okay, well, this is the the weak ending, but next time you're going to get a really awesome, kick-ass conclusion. But the way it ends is kind of good. The emotional beat um, it ends on, I like. Both Kuze and Major are all messed up. He's got his legs torn off at one point, and he's trying to get her to pour it out of her body, you know, and go into the network with him. But she's like, no, I belong here. I want to stay. And then Cutter snipers brain him and he gets shot. But he's already gotten out. We see his eyes. We see that he's managed to somehow get out of his body, which I assume to bring him back for a sequel to or whatever. But then Section 9 shows up and they take down the chopper and Batu runs over to Major and like cradles her in his arms and asks her her real name. And she tells him it's Makoto, but he also asks if Major is still in there too. And she says that, she, that Major is still in there as well. In the anime, they do merge. And I feel like a lot of my friends were upset that the ending was changed. And obviously it was changed for like, yeah, the possibility of a sequel or things like that. And I feel like in the anime, they get merged and then put into like, a younger body that looks exactly that has the same face as major and it's like kind of creepy you're like well yeah that sounds weird he says like oh it's the only thing that i could find on the black market was this body but i'm like mm, okay animators like <laughs> was that your excuse but uh it's a little bit weird one of the important differences and again i'm trying to i know i'm saying this but i'm trying to judge this as his own film but in the anime she's basically like a standard model robot like there are multiple versions of her throughout the city right so she's nothing special they just like have turned one of them into a killer robot thing so at the end i feel like they just implant her into a similar looking it's definitely like a like a little girl version of it or whatever and again i don't think that's a necessary big plot point but it, that is a major difference between the two right because it, it emphasizes the fact she sees herself everywhere in the anime version but in this version it's all about how she's an individual and how she feels so alone you know as for the ending, I have no problem with this live action ending. Like, I don't I don't need her to merge with the Internet or whatever. You know, she lives. She beats the tank and she lives. I feel like what you're describing, Chris, is something that American audiences would not like at all if that was the direction they were <laughs> yeah. going in with the sequel. So, yeah, the cards would have gotten back and been like, what? <laughs> yeah, I think I think for American audiences, they made the right call. So 
you know, we just get this brief scene where Armaki confronts Cutter and says, you know, I brought this to the prime minister. All right, here's a character that <laughs> doesn't matter at all in this movie. Several times Armaki mentions, I'm going to go to the prime minister. It's like we never see the prime minister at all. Yeah. But um, Cutter's going to be charged with all these crimes. And then Cutter pulls a gun, but Armaki is faster. And then Major gives Armaki the consent gives her consent for him to kill Cutter, which he does. I hate it so much. It's so dumb. He like he he his job is to arrest people. He shows up. He's like, I'm going to arrest you. And the other I get that Cutter pulls a gun on him and he shoots him. I get that. Right. But then Cutter's still alive. And then he's like calls the major and he's like, hey, major, is it cool if I just like in cold blood murder this bro? And she's like, <laughs> I give my consent. And he's like, that's cool, because like I totally wanted to do that all along. And then he murders him. And I'm like. I don't care about any of these relationships. Like, I don't care whether the chief of police likes or does not like Cutter because Cutter is lame. And why does he get to deliver the killing blow? It should be fucking the major, if anyone. I'm, I just don't. Yeah. It's stupid. It's bro code. He asks her permission first. She called dibs and he's like, yo, is it cool? And she says, yes. <laughs> like, doesn't everybody know that that's how it should go down? Like, you got to call your bro before you kill his main guy. So... That's true. He is, he is he is being polite. And yeah, <laughs> I'm just glad that and that guy's dead. Yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah, I'm glad Chikeshi Katano gets to kill the guy, so I don't ever have to see him again if they make a sequel. <laughs> which they I won't. promise you, there will never be a sequel. So the last scene we get is Major visiting her own grave, uh, the the grave of Makoto, and her mother is there, and she tells her mother that she doesn't have to mourn her anymore, and they hug. And we see the mother, like, taking the plastic off of Makoto's, like, uh, memorial items or whatever. I don't really know what they're supposed to be, but... Yeah, I wasn't clear on that either. I think it's just to show that the mother now can feel that Makoto is alive. She doesn't right. have to, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. have a shrine Cover for up her. her. Right. And while this is going on, we're getting a closing monologue from Major that our memories don't define us. It's our actions that define us. She knows who she is now, a, a badass super cop, a superhero. It's a very much a superhero movie ending. We've seen this sort of ending for, I don't know, pretty much every origin story of every superhero. But we do get a cool final shot of her dropping backwards off the building and disappearing, which is sort of the iconic move from the anime that we saw also at the beginning of the movie. And we end on uh, traditional Japanese music, which I thought was kind of a nice touch. No, I was here for it. I think the the end looked really great in 3D when she's actually, you know, a lot of those falling and, and you know, long cityscape scenes looked really, really good in 3D. And, you know, it was a great way to end it for me, you know, with the iconic shot of her disappearing like that. And I'm here for the, you know, the mother-daughter reuniting story, you know, as, as corny and as out of place as it may be. Like, the whole movie's pretty cold, so, you know, I was here for it. And uh, I feel like it was a nice button end to the movie. And you get that badass shot of, of Batu kind of just, like, rising up with the uh, with the helicopters in the back. I thought that was pretty cool, too. Like, look, if they made eight more of these movies, I'd probably go see them, right? Because, like, they're expensive and cool looking. If you really want, like, look, I know you're going to consider this nitpicking, but I'll, I'll tell you, like, I think they really ruined the moment of her jumping off the building because she starts to jump. And as she's fall, like, in mid-fall, it, like, cuts back to the police chief. And he says, like, one line for no reason. And then it cuts back to her falling again. And, like, that's just a poor editing choice. Like, 
just have her jump off the building and slam to credits. That'd be yeah, cooler. That, that bothered me too. Yeah. I you agree. know what it is? I don't, I'm sorry. I'm just going to out myself here. I don't know who this Japanese actor is. Like you keep talking about how cool he is. He was in battle Royale and I figure you don't what like else battle Royale. He's a director of like a million Fair, fair enough. I, I get that. And the movie keeps insisting to me how famous and important he is by how much it shoves him in my face. He's a cult figure in Japan. I Just look totally at his face and his that. haircut. I mean, the, the, even if you'd never seen him before, you're like, this guy's badass. Like, And it's just it's just weird how much the movie insists on me trying to care about him without actually giving him anything to do. And it's weird that they even give him a a piece of the final moment of the movie. But her jumping off the building and like waving her hand and turning invisible, perfect ending. Exactly the right way to end the movie. I agree. Okay, so that is uh, the end of the movie. And as we know, because it's on this show, this movie was a financial failure. I wouldn't say it was catastrophically a failure. It cost about $110 million. It made about $50 million or so in the U.S., which is terrible. But it ended up recouping its money in worldwide grosses. That's still a failure. It didn't make its money back when you take into consider marketing and everything. But um, why do you think this did so poorly, Chris? Well, it's obvious. It's the casting of Scarlet. And, you know, at culturally, we collectively had to say, like, no, this isn't cool. We all had to put our foot down and say, you know, you can't take a beloved anime and cast a white woman as the lead. I feel like that was... It was poor timing because I don't think it was the, you know, obviously the intention of the filmmakers to whitewash the movie. They they were very respectful in, in other ways. But I feel like at that moment, we had to just say, look, Hollywood, this isn't cool. And I feel like everybody I knew was like, I'm not seeing that movie. Fuck that. I can't believe they, they cast her. And I feel like it it was something that had to be done. And Ghost in the Shell kind of fell on its sword and and had to be the movie that taught Hollywood that lesson. Having said all that, I still really, really like, love the movie for what it does. And I, you know, I almost feel guilty that I love this movie so much because Scarlett Johansson's in it. I love looking at her. I think she gives a great performance. And I love that it exists because I can watch it on my 4K TV in 3D, in 4K, and just and bliss out to the sci-fi goodness of it. And uh, I feel like it's kind of an undiscovered not classic, but, you know, I feel like there's a a lot for people who like this type of movie uh, to love here. And I, and I think it'll be discovered, you know, after every the dust settles and people can get, get over, you know, that sort of bias and the casting. I think it's, it's definitely a better movie than its reputation allows. I think that it's as good of a movie as any first superhero movie like i think this movie in terms of the quality of the film deserves to be as much of a success as you know as like i said iron man one or thor one or any of those like it's no no worse than those movies in my opinion and i know there's probably a lot of marvel fans out there that 
would want to kill me for saying that, but yeah, Iron Man one's pretty good. Iron Man one's pretty great. Like, I mean, the difference between this and Iron Man one is you've got Robert Downey Jr. being the most charismatic human being right. on the planet, as opposed to Scarlett Johansson being not the most charismatic person on the planet. She's not allowed to be, yeah. Right, but I mean, look, I'm just, I'm just saying, it's about as good as your average first superhero movie, in my opinion, and I think the visuals knock it way past that like yeah whatever it's lacking in scarlett johansson not being the most charismatic lead in the world it's making up for in eye candy like this movie is gorgeous to put on like if you don't want to focus your full attention on it and just have it on in the background to, to show off your display you can't get better than this in my opinion i agree with everything that you're saying about the whitewashing element being the nail in the coffin for it. But I also think that we have not seen somebody take an anime property and knock it out of the park with a huge hit. True. And it makes me wonder if it can actually be done. Like if this is something that can be translated into $200 million movie and be successful. Like maybe yeah. American audiences just can't hang with, with totally. this sort of thing. I agree. You know? Until somebody does it in a way that is irrefutably successful, I don't think we can say for sure because it, it certainly hasn't happened yet. Yeah, you know, honestly, when, when this was coming out, I thought it was going to make a fuck ton of money. I thought this was going to be a huge hit because my instinct is like, when I see a trailer like that, I'm like, who would not go see this movie, right? Yeah. Like, I get that maybe the reviews came out and they weren't so good. And I guess there's there's a, a certain contingent of people who wait for the reviews, right? But like, when I see a trailer like that, I'm like, I don't care how bad the reviews are. I have to go see this, right? Yeah. So it's always shocking to me when these kind of movies don't make money. Because I'm like, what did you go do that weekend instead of seeing the really expensive robot movie with Scarlett Johansson, right? <laughs> right. And so I think what it comes down to is it's like one part... Like 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 the 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 Japanese storytelling just doesn't sit well with American audiences unless they're unless they're into anime and they're watching the original anime stuff mixed with future like it, like it's the same reason Blade Runner both versions of Blade Runner didn't didn't succeed right they're monetary failures that have a gigantic following right but I actually started thinking can you think of any movies that are like this besides maybe The Matrix that have done well with American audiences. And there's just something about this flavor of like yeah. dystopian tech future that doesn't resonate with us. I think a lot of people just don't really get drawn in by pure visual candy. Like I think they need to have an actor there that they want to see and they need to have something that they're familiar with, brand name IP that they feel that they can trust um, and I mean, I think it's it's getting worse and worse as we're we're going on. I think we're entering a time now where people don't really want to give anything a chance if it's not yeah. branded. I also think that there's there's sort of not an elephant in the room, but it's also the the sort of the pervy look of Scarlett Johansson in this movie. I think turned off fifty percent of the audience, which is women who are just like. Oh my God, they made a movie where Scarlett Johansson's naked the whole time for 14-year-old boys to gawk at in this sci-fi universe. And like, I feel like when she takes off that coat and does that thing, no 
woman was saying, "Oh, they got it right on the anime. They're going. That's what they're thinking. Like, th- here's a pervy movie for fourteen year old boys." I'm sure that played into it. And, and Sebastian, I think you're onto something. There's like this, unless it has been like stamped pre-approved, such as like Star Wars or Marvel. Right? American audiences have no interest in like creative or creativity. You know, like I, I know that's, that's an over simplification, but like even this is the dumbed down version. That you know that that was made right. They had mm-hmm. to take a really complex movie and dumb it down, and it was still too much, right? Yeah. And like again, I'm going to point to Blade Runner. It's like that movie, the new one, fucking Harrison Ford and Ryan Gosling, and like it won Academy Awards for its cinematography. It's gorgeous, right? Yeah. And yet, when people saw that trailer, they said, no, thank you, right? That looks like that will hurt my head too much. I don't want to think. Show me that Annabelle doll again. Show me the evil <laughs> nun, right? Yeah. I, I feel like they're also like, yeah, they, they dumb it, either dumb it down or lean into whatever made that property great, you know? I feel like, yeah, it doesn't, it's never going to be successful when, when, you, when you split the difference, you know? I feel like no one's ever done that, you know, uh, well, That's I feel like either slash the budget and then keep it the original flavor that it was or, you know, just splash the name on it and then take yeah. the plot engine or whatever made it great and then completely westernize it or something. I, I don't know what the answer is, but look at something like Ex Machina, right? Way smaller budget, right? Mm, yeah. Very similar themes, but that did yeah. really well. But that did well because the budget was so low, right? So it's like, you want to do this? You either need to make it like ex machina size, like you said, Chris. And, you know, you have a couple shootouts, but you keep it more about philosophy and what, you, what where's your ghost. Right. Or you need to make it a fucking full-on action movie. It needs to be what kind of like what I was talking about at the beginning. I need more action set pieces, and that will draw you in. I also think that the marketing, they did a really bad job of like explaining what this movie's about. You know, yeah. American audiences really need to like, you need to just tell them the whole fucking story in the trailer. And so the trailer basically is like a mostly nude Scarlett Johansson, like jumps off of buildings. Like that's what the whole movie and she occasionally shoots robots. Like I don't even get what it's about. Now you can make the coolest trailer in the world. And if people don't have their like McDonald's feeling about it, that it's something (laughs) they can trust, they're not going to get it. You know what I mean? It's like, they just want McDonald's. They don't want, you're like, look, I've got this amazing burger here. It tastes like 10,000 times better than a McDonald's burger. And people are like, but I like McDonald's. Exactly. You know, like we've become such a brand and IP focused society that I just don't think they're, you know, you can't sell things on just that they look awesome anymore. It has to be something you know. But you were saying it it didn't flop that hard, so we can take some solace in that. You know, a lot of people did go see it. You know, it made it made 160 million at worldwide box office or something like that. So, you know, that's a lot of tickets. I think that basically is like that's who we are. Like, if you want to know how like people like how much money you, me, and Rodney generate worldwide, it's about 160 million dollars. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe 200 million worldwide. Right. So like, so every nerd that you talk to that you're like, yeah, we all are into this. You're all into this to the tune of about $200 million worldwide. That's how much you're worth. That's how much the bean counters probably see you as not a billion. Right. Yeah. It's a valid point. And, and I I know I, again, like always, I come on your show and I nitpick everything, but this movie's 
pretty good. It's like it's a good time, and it's probably the best movie you've done on your on your show. That I yes, can, that thank I you. Video. I feel like Chris it, it, is it, like it, doing a dance. He's so happy. It's so this. elevated to after from what we got with Aeon Flux. I was like, man, yeah, maybe this, Rodney might like this one, and I was like, oh <laughs> yes, like it's so it's a real movie. That. Yeah, but at the same time, I gotta say that like I just think like if the if if an average avatar, 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 this, <laughs> I I don't think they're gonna walk away a fan. I don't think this is gonna convert a lot of people. Sure, I think again, if you if you smoke a bowl, watch this movie, you'll have a good time. But like, I don't know if you're gonna want to watch it again or talk about it with people. You know, like it's just sort of like it it, it leaves your mind as soon as it's over because it's a very empty experience and yeah and to your point i want to agree with you on that when i saw it in the theater jen and i saw it together and we enjoyed it in the theater because it really sort of immerses you in it and it was an immersive experience and we both liked it then when i got the blu-ray i watched it again and i found it less involving the second time i actually got a lot out of watching it this time because i was forced to really pay attention to the plot and stuff so that actually helped me enjoy it more i was actually feeling like well this is actually pretty well plotted for one of these types of things i think seeing aeon flux helped too because i was like this is so much better plotted than <laughs> yeah flux. and the action kicks ass compared to that i mean like you know i thoroughly enjoy the action in in this movie i do agree with rodney there is something about the movie and I do think it's just the nature of the central character that just doesn't draw you in because she's a friggin' robot. You know? Right. Like, the character of Major. Right. There's yeah. like very little humor in this movie. That's I mean, we true. didn't talk yeah. about that, but there's so little humor. Yeah. Well, how many fingers am I holding up? That's the only joke oh, yeah. in the whole movie. You're right. It could have used a little bit more. Like, I kind of wonder if you recut this movie and you actually opened on her as a little kid getting like kidnapped. And like forced, you know, whatever, taken away. Right. And, and if I knew that up front, would that change my whole experience? Right. If you didn't try to tease that out as a mystery and just said, this is what we're, this is what it is. Then yeah, that might have endeared you more to the character. And it's funny, my, my wife was watching it. And when they said the opening reveal is like, you've been put in Scarlett Johansson's body. She was like. I'd be pretty fucking psyched. <laughs> I woke up one day and had Scarlett Johansson's body and I'm like, eh, fair enough. All right, guys. Well, if I have your consent, I'm going to deep dive into a geisha robot and get in my spider tank and go send a rabbit to kill a fox. Yeah. Sebastian, you've never needed my consent. <laughs> awesome. Awesome.